Welcome to the Modern Independent, where we are on a mission to assist modern independent workers in accelerating their growth, both personally and professionally. Every year, our parent community, Indie Collective, offers two 10-week accelerator programs known as the Launchpad. In these programs, cohorts of around 80 independent consultants and coaches, just like you, gain access to an expert-led curriculum, then work together to set bigger visions and goals for their business and lives. If you're interested in learning more about our 10-week Launchpad cohorts, go to www.indiecollective.co, where you can learn about the program, hear members speak about their experiences, and apply for the next cohort. We accept applications on a rolling basis, and as a podcast listener, you'll receive priority when applying for an interview, as well as a limited-time $500 friends and family discount. Just reference the podcast in your application. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Launchpad here on The Modern Independent. My name is Jan Almasy, and today I'm sitting down with another fellow Indie Collective grad, Mr. Chris Donahoe. Um, and Chris charted his path to success by learning to use his queerness as an asset rather than a liability. Now he tends to help other professionals unlock their superpowers, rediscover their motivation, build from turmoil, and create successful careers that they love. For organizations, he helps get people on board with big changes in the face of uncertainty, promote, change, and align people. On the individual side of things, he can help you make more money doing what you love by increasing the clarity and giving you the confidence to move forward. Chris, welcome to the Launchpad, my friend. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So um, just as like a general kind of understanding uh, so that people can kind of know who you are and where you're at in the world. Um, so obviously we introduced you. Your name's Chris. Where are you currently located and, and what are you kind of engaged with right now as far as work goes? I am based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've lived here for about four years. I've been in New York City for 13 years, originally from Orlando, which I like to joke that nobody is actually from Orlando except for me. People just <laughs> visit there on vacation. And then professionally, I've owned my own change management agency for about five years, and we focus on the organizational side of things, you know, helping get people on board with big changes inside of companies. And then we also work with individuals as a coach, and we help people build their dream careers. I love that. So in inside of your mind, I mean, just for, for everybody listening, like what – what does what is change management um, as far as the way that you've um, kind of engaged with that? Yeah. Oh, I know boy. that's uh, like a broad, broad question that can have a bunch of different answers. So honestly, I think of it this way. I think change is 100 percent guaranteed forever. So it's going to be happening. And then when I think of effective change management, so many people are tinkering around in spreadsheets and doing all this analysis to try to predict what's going to happen. I think of it more as just like, we need to make sure people are actually bought into whatever's coming down the line. And the way to do that is to engage people, have tons of one-on-one -on -one conversations, small group conversations, and to be making changes in partnership with people versus kind of like pushing it onto them. So mm. I take that approach and that philosophy and that's really how I work with my organizational clients around change management. I love that. Yeah. Instead of forcing it on somebody, you know, really kind of getting that buy-in and getting that input and making it a part of, you know, the organization's evolution rather than 
you know, like a hard stop and then this is how we're doing it now. Um, that almost never goes well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, that actually brings me into like the first question. So, so before anybody ever comes on the show, we always sit down and we talk, you know, just for a little bit to get to know each other. And one of the things that came up as we were discussing things is one of my favorite questions to ask podcast guests before they come on, which is if I were to ask you a question that would have a good story attached to it, what would that be? And I have been so looking forward to this podcast episode because of the question that you chose to put down which is drum roll please what is the worst piece of advice you have ever received okay that is my question i remember writing it as what's the worst career advice so i'm gonna go that direction that works for me yeah but um maybe like 10 years ago or so at some point in my early career i was at a work happy hour and uh there were a lot of like higher ups around and this woman came up to me and she's like you know you're such a rising star you've got everything it takes you're gonna go so far in corporate america kind of just really telling me all the things you want to hear when you're like 25 you're like oh my gosh yes tell me how far i'm going to climb (laughs) And she asked me, like, you know, is there, um, I, you strike me as a really ambitious person. Would you like me to give you some advice on your career? And I said, absolutely. Tell me what this advice is. And then she said, be less gay. And I was like, really? Yeah, that was my reaction. Well, actually, my reaction at the time was kind of like, okay, whatever you tell me. I'm career obsessed. I will do whatever you tell me, and I'm just going to implement it. And to be fair, I really think that the intention of what she was doing was I do believe she had my best interest at heart. And she was also a woman who had really risen in the ranks of a very uh, male-dominated management consulting firm. And so she was giving me advice, which is like, how do you survive a place like this? Blend in and conform. That's the name of the game. And so to her credit, I don't think she's necessarily, you know, I don't think she hates gay people or anything. I think she was telling a young queer person that the path to success will require conformity. Mm. And that that was her own experience Mm. was that it had required conformity for her. And so I took the advice. I spent the next like five years at least kind of wearing my little blue button down shirts and my khakis and changing the way I spoke. I actually would, I got feedback once that when I presented, I needed to give like lower, I needed to speak in a lower register than my actual speaking voice. And I really was trying to seem more straight for a long time. This ended up not, it was crippling on one hand but it was also amazing on the other because it's that classic idea that your greatest hardships are always the thing that your that your biggest successes are built from so your purpose is born usually mm. from the obstacles mm. and so when i started my company with my business partner Valesca Toro we did so with the the mission that we would create a world where success does not require conformity and so mm. When we show up in boardrooms, I'm usually wearing like studded loafers. I might be having, you know, wearing a pink blazer. Not that these are Mm -hmm. even ridiculous things to do, but they do actually push the boundaries in terms of what people are expecting. And it's a more authentic way for me to express myself. 
So it was absolutely the worst advice I ever got, though well-intentioned and inadvertently. Maybe it was the best advice because in not following it and in the lesson of following it and seeing where it led, which was not a good place, I ended up creating a company that I really love and that I'm proud of. Right, right. Wow, that is definitely not where I thought that was going. Um, that's really surprising that that was just like so blatantly thrown out there but it makes it makes a lot of sense like when you when you kind of backed it up a little bit and you put it in the context of like this had been her experience this is she was coming from this place of genuine not you know be less gay or for her it was like be less womanly you know like for her it was like just be rather than be less of yourself it's just be more of the organization like sacrifice a piece of yourself to the organizational god so to speak and and that's what's going to help you get to the top is if you look sound and act like who this organization believes is going to be a top performer, which I feel like a lot of people have experienced, especially over the last couple of years. We seem to be going through this awakening where people are like, oh, I definitely am not my full authentic self here mm -hmm. and it's hurting. And I've I don't know if we really recognize that pain as a as a, when I say race I say human race as in all of us together but like as a human as as a race we had not realized that until we had almost the forced upon pause that covid put into our lives that allowed us to kind of step back and be like hold on actually you know what I definitely am sacrificing a lot of who I am in these positions Maybe I should find a way to be more myself. Um, and for you, that ended up in creating an organization. So, so what is the the um, organization that that you created, and and what are you guys really working towards now, as far as helping others kind of realize their potential and and put themselves out into the workplace in a way that feels authentic to themselves? I love that question and something you said, which was that. There's a lot of people who have recently woken up to the cost of conforming. Mm. The and what we really help people do, and I think the people Ooh, the who cost are cost of conforming. And I love that statement. Yeah, a huge cost of conformity for sure. There's a huge, huge cost. Usually, we're, a lot of people were not present to it because it just seems like that's the way it has to be. Like I have to present myself in this way. I have to talk in a certain way. I have to follow through with the expectations that right. are outlined. And for some people, well, this is, I'll answer it the long way. For some people, I want to be clear, conformity actually still is required in order to survive in certain environments. So in an ideal world, we could all show up as ourselves and it would just work out well. But because there are a lot of toxic work environments out there, because institutionalized racism is real, because homophobia is real, sexism is real, ableism is real, because our organizations are largely not actually set up to recognize and honor the differences between people, sometimes conformity is actually required, and it really sucks, to put it bluntly. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and your safety, either your emotional safety or your psychological safety or your, even your job security might be on the line if you were to reveal certain parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work that we do, especially with our one-on-one -on -one coaching clients, because I work with a lot of queer professionals, BIPOC professionals, women, and many of whom are in 
pretty senior corporate roles, a lot of what we do is it's finding that tipping point where you actually can authentically show up as yourself without making yourself a target. For some people, you can push it very, very far. And I think for other people, like the sad reality is that sometimes you actually need to leave the environment you're in because the environment you're in is not set up for you to show up that way. And to put it really bluntly, I see that mainly with my banking clients and with clients inside of uh, top 20 law firms, like international law firms. Mm -hmm. That is where I see some of the most rigid kind of thinking around the expectation for how people show up. And then it's about supporting people to either change their environment and or, you know, figure out ways to be more themselves and still cultivate that success. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I know um, um, when I was working in in psych nursing, um, something that you just said about the environment is really resonating with me. It's bringing up a lot of, of memories about working inside of that field. And the power in helping somebody realize that it is their environment that is the constraint that it's not them they are not flawed that there's you know there's not this like oh well i must just suck because i'm not being promoted here or i'm not i don't feel like my coworkers agree with me and or you know and it it can be a multitude of things that causes that person to feel that way but even just, I, I remember sitting down with a client the one time, and they were, I mean, dealing with some really pretty severe depression, and almost like they were starting to dissociate from themselves. And they, you know, they would express to me pretty consistently, I'm like, I feel like a body going through the motions. I don't feel like a whole person. Like, when I go to work, I leave, and my body does its thing, and then I come back, which can, it can be numbing, you know? could really it could really drive somebody into some really dark places and i remember i remember sitting down with this individual and having a conversation about well where are the places that you feel the most whole why do you feel as if those places are the are the places that you feel the most whole and it was places where they they felt heard that they felt accepted that they were able to have constructive conversations and actually get critiqued but feel safe in the ability that the critique was coming from a place of wanting them to become better not a critique that was just meant to um bring them down um because they didn't want to go somewhere where there was no friction because that doesn't cause any growth but they did they wanted to go to a place that gave them friction in the right areas and it's it just it feels very similar to the to the conversation that 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 you just kind of brought up inside of those spaces. It's like, hey, if you can realize that it's not you, it's actually very freeing, you know, and that you're like, okay, I can change environments. I have the skill sets to move. I have options. And it's amazing what maybe that's hope. I feel like I'm trying to land the plane now, as I call it. It's like, you know, I went off on that tangent, but just providing somebody hope that there's a chance that they will be able to be their authentic selves in some sense in a different environment can do a lot for a person 100 percent. because one thing that i see happen a lot as a coach as a management consultant and as someone who's now received a lot of training kind of in this um the space of being able to recognize like what's the actual role that trauma plays in the workforce 
and how it shows up. For a lot of people, the environment that they find themselves in is a, is a re-traumatizing experience for whatever reason. And so what you just described in terms of the person almost, I mean, not to pathologize it, but it almost sounded like a dissociation. Like I go to work, I kind of dissociate, and then I come mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And that's a classic trauma response. And I had a client who she was diagnosed with bipolar and also was a first-generation American. She was Indian. She was from a working-class Indian family. And she had always, extremely bright. This was a a technologist, super educated, exceptionally brilliant, talented, dedicated person, like someone that you want on your team. But she would often find herself shutting down inside of, of corporate environments Mainly, it would be environments where she would she would enter into a dynamic with her boss, where the expectation would get higher and higher and higher, and then mm-hmm. as and then and then as that happened, she would feel more and more and more pressure. But the more pressure she felt, the less she was able to actually show up and do what mm-hmm. she needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so it was triggering her to shut down and remove herself, and and she ended up losing multiple jobs over the course of five or ten years, and. The unfortunate thing there is it even though you know it's easy to say oh there's something wrong with her that you know that there's something there's something must be wrong with her and how she does team and how she interacts with people no 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 there was nothing wrong with her it's just that the environment itself was not conducive to someone with bipolar and with her specific set of experiences in life right yes 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 and as i believe that the future of corporate america and of organizations is going to be really waking up to how to create organizations that are built for people and for workers not the other way around and a lot of that is going to be setting the conditions for safety, like you said. So how is this a safe environment for someone to receive feedback, give feedback? Is this a safe environment for someone to make a mistake or ask a question? Right. And and we actually have to set it up on purpose that way. So to answer your earlier question around change management as well, most of the time my clients don't come to me and say, help us set up a safe environment. <laughs> They're usually like, help us make sure that this this big change goes well. But my my underlying commitment is we're going to do this in a way that honors your people we're going to be transparent with it we're going to set up the conditions for safety we're going to mm-hmm. set up uh mm-hmm. we we recognize i love what you said about friction that friction inside of an organization is normal it's natural it's going to happen and right. we want that friction to produce good results and the sharpening of the sharpening of people not the the beating down of or the stomping them mm, out i love that analogy yeah for sure yeah, because you think about like friction. Friction produces energy, right? Like that's that's how generators. Um, well, unless it's a combustion generator, but for sake of like you know, let's say hydroelectric, like that it uses friction and momentum to create energy. Um, but friction can also and, and actually, you know what? An even closer example to what you just said: sharpening a blade. It requires friction. And some sparks are going to fly and, you know, there's stuff that's going to go on. But at the end of the day, you have a sharper blade. But if your intention is to create friction with super glue and they just can't move, yeah. then that's a, that's a horrible type of friction. And um, I see this meme floating around all the time. I think that the quote is attributed to Albert Einstein, but I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure if you were to if a fish were to attempt to judge itself on its ability to climb a tree it would live its entire life believing that it's stupid Mm -hmm. when it could just really be a good fish 
and realize that it's an amazing swimmer. And I think that's really a true testament to both like the talent set that you have and sometimes we can, especially in this era of social media and there's so much content everywhere all the time, we could get really lost in looking at like, well, look at what all these other people are doing and look at how good they're doing at this. And I must not be that because I'm, you know, struggling to do this. But but maybe it's just realizing that you have an entire ocean ahead of you instead of staring at the one tree all of these people are trying to climb up. Yeah, I agree completely. It's... um. It's funny, my husband is so good at, at seeing through the smoke and mirrors of social media, and I often get sucked in. And I'm like, I think it's natural as an entrepreneur, too, because you're always like, how did that person create a seven-figure business and also right. yeah. from from a hot air balloon? And you're like, I, <laughs> I have never even been on a hot air balloon. And it's like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of posturing out there, and I remind myself constantly, like, what I, I, my, my biggest thing for myself is that remi- getting present to the reality of my own life like <laughs> it's easy for me to spiral out in my head and be like oh my gosh my business where's the revenue going to come from what's the pipeline going to be how do we repeat this same success and how do we and and I think what I really try to remember is like there's a difference between like living in fear and just having like just a baseline level of like rational concern I think on a bad day, I'm like in a shame, fear spiral. <laughs> On a good day, I'm a business owner with like rational concerns about my business that just need to be addressed. And right. I think to your point too, the more I, I'm connected to what my actual strengths are and what my value is and what I'm committed to creating, it's very much like a grounding. I find mm. that I have to mm. on purpose ground myself or mm. else I cannot sustainably build a business. <laughs> right. No, no, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because if you don't, it's, and it, sometimes it's really easy to lose track of how much you've built or how far you've come. If you're constantly looking at people that are ahead of you in the race, um, or, or even perceiving it as a race, that's a mistake in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. that it's, that, that, that puts you into a scarcity mindset that, Oh, you know, there's all of these people out there doing it. There's not going to be anything left for me. But if you're if you're genuinely appreciative of of the skill sets that you have, you're doing something that you love, you're pursuing the things like the pipeline, you should have rational concerns about the pipeline. I love the way that you put that, that there's a difference between having legitimate because you can't just be a worry free entrepreneur. I don't know if those exist. Um, And if they do, they're probably bullshitting you. So like you should have these rational concerns about your business. But there are definitely days where it feels like life is just like just like beating you down. Yeah. Um, and and you kind of spiral. So that makes me that makes me think like you know, being a person that is is able to connect with these people in such a raw, vulnerable state, right? And 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 walk them through this this um, realization, whether it's you know their environment or maybe skills that they didn't realize that they actually had, but they tell you a story and you're like, hey, the fact that you did this is actually this skill set and. You know, those types of conversations. Um, it brings me to to kind of that, that next question um, that we, we like to ask here on the Launchpad, which is, what do you believe your superpower is? Um, and, and when is a time that you can remember either recognizing that in yourself or having somebody else recognize it in you? I love that question. I think I have a couple superpowers. One is boundary pushing 
I think I'm an excellent boundary pusher. <laughs> and I think I get away with stretching boundaries a lot. And I think in a lot of ways I relate to myself as that is my function is to mm -hmm. push boundaries and toward human evolution, toward progress, not toward, you know, not just pissing people off because it's funny. <laughs> it's more like really pushing boundaries in service of can we make sure the planet still exists in a hundred years? Yeah. Right. And the other one, I think I, I think I'm, a, I'm a natural encourager. Like I naturally see the greatness in other people. I, it's not hard for me to like relate to the incredible qualities of another person and to speak to those qualities and to bring those mm. qualities out. Mm. It's, I don't look at other people and see the deficit. I mean, obviously I can see it. <laughs> right, just, right. Some people, it's like, too, you know, you're, you're not going to avoid it. But I think in general, I, I always believe in the potential of other people and I can see that potential. And I think I get the feedback a lot that I have encouraged someone or I've, I've touched their life in a way where they felt like, okay, I can do this. Like, I didn't know I could do this and now I know I can. So I think that's probably my, my superpower. Mm. And a time when someone has recognized it in me, I would say, you know, the same, the same client who was the diagnosed bipolar client, she said to me that she had never, she never knew that it would be possible for her to be at work and feel comfortable and know that she wasn't the problem and to know that she could do a good job and knowing that she could mm. hold down a job and that like she it wasn't going to implode like 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 her just not living in a permanent state of like when is the other shoe going to drop exactly like yeah that's when i feel it and I, I think my clients on a on a weekly basis i think that's the coolest thing about coaching is that you're truly watching you have a front row seat to watching someone transform and mm. and step into like who they are and they're always so grateful. The feedback from my clients, I think, is the number one indicator that my superpowers are out there and that they're they're making a difference. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that um, I think there's something so rewarding about. Hmm. How do I want to say this? There's something so rewarding about watching another person come into themselves. You know, um, like we've we've talked uh, back and forth. Both of us have experienced seeing these individuals and interacting with these individuals that are almost, you know, they're 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 living outside of their bodies. You know, it's like they 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 are so detached from the life that they're in because they believe that the environment that they currently exist in is the only environment um, that they can exist in. And then to watch somebody kind of like come back down to earth and and have that confidence, be like, you know what? No, I can have a good time at work. Like it's it's normal to be a person that doesn't hate their job. Whereas a lot of the people that I've interacted with, and I even held this personally belief for for this limiting belief for a, a good portion of the beginning of my entrepreneurial career, which was like entrepreneurship is supposed to suck. You know, I, I grew up in this period of time where hustle culture and the grind and all this other stuff was just permeating the Internet as I was as I was starting my business. And so I believed legitimately, like if I'm not 
if I can't sustain five hours of sleep a night, waking up at six o'clock or five o'clock in the morning to go work out, working a 14 hour day and driving myself into the floor, I'm like, oh, this is what entrepreneurship is. This is how this is supposed to go. And then when I had somebody, actually, I'm pretty sure it was Sam. Um, when I entered Indie Collective for the first time, and I kind of got the chance to have these individuals that I really saw as like, oh, they are where I want to be. And the majority of the conversation was, hey, if like you really want to make this sustainable, you have to balance your your living, your lifestyle, and your loving. Like you have to balance these core parts of you first. Uh-huh. And it's not normal to hate your job. And you have permission to go seek things and to grow. That was just like my brain like melted out of my ears the first time that I had another person give me permission to feel that way um, and to reinforce that and allow me to grow. I remember when I, I was in a management consulting role and I was growing up and <laughs> climbing the ladder I used to script my conversations. I would literally script and rehearse what I was going to say in meetings so that everything would be perfect, like Mm. quote unquote perfect. And putting so much pressure on myself to have everything just be like exceptionally airtight. And I really thought that like it was normal to be doing that. Like I had normalized a level of perfectionism that was actually very toxic and coming Mm. at a high cost to like Mm. my mental health. And it's the same thing you're saying. It's like, sometimes we, we, our standard for our quality of life is so low and we don't even know it. Like we don't even know like, Mm. Oh my gosh, Mm. I have a low bar for what I'm willing to tolerate here. And, and, and it's, difficult because if you've been operating in dysfunctional spheres or if you've been in a dysfunctional environment there's no one modeling it differently right so if you're right. just, if it's everything you're seeing and there's some cultures where they'll be they'll be clear when they hire you they're like we are an environment where we're, we expect you to work 12 hour days and sometimes weekends and that's the norm around here so if you don't like that and you don't want to do that then don't come here and but at least they're up front at least they're up front. <laughs> right. The problem is when you're signing up for an environment and you, you don't know that you're signing up for something that's kind of like a wild west and it's going to be your job to figure out what of this is actually not normal. What should mm-hmm. I not be tolerating here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like when I signed up for the military, there was like no ifs, ands, or buts. They're like, hey, this is going to be a bitch for a little <laughs> while. You know, and it's like this is your basic training. There's no getting around the fact that that's going to suck. So, like, don't do this if you don't actually want to do this. Um, I remember having that conversation with my recruiter at the time. And and for everybody that's listening that is prior service, I was in the Air Force, so I'm, like, almost military. No, I'm just kidding. But um, every every single Marine that I've ever talked to is like, you went to Girl Scout camp, not, uh, you know, basic training because we only go for eight and a half weeks instead of 13 and we don't have to crawl under barbed wire and drink mud um but that that was still the expectation and then when i went down there and i received exactly what i thought the expectation was it actually um was a phenomenal experience it was an amazing growth experience there's actually a lot of interesting studies out there about um the difference and i want to say this was i think it was piaget um who is a developmental psychologist for those of you that are unfamiliar with the psychology field but that um, there's two different ways that a human can react um, depending on the 
context with which they're given before they enter a situation, right? So if the person is told that they're going to encounter a difficult situation and then they encounter the difficult situation, it actually raises dopamine and serotonin levels in the brain. So it actually makes you feel good that you're encountering the situation that you were expecting to encounter that was difficult and then you have the ability to beat it or learn from it. Now, on the opposite side of that, if a group of people inside of this study, if they weren't told about the difficult scenario that they were going to encounter and they were forced to encounter that difficult scenario, it spiked their cortisol levels, their heart rates went up. I mean, everything went haywire. The body went wackadoodle, even if it was the exact same scenario as the other group because they felt slighted, right? It was like, oh, we were expecting X and we got Y. Um, and they had a much lower success rate of actually completing that. And so I've had conversations with um, with other leaders, and this was during my time in the military, um, where I was like, hey, if we're going to go on a rotation and it's going to suck, just be honest about the fact that it's going to suck. you know. And, and everybody will get on board and we'll be able to figure out how we can make it suck less together. But if you just straight up try to like sweep it under the rug and like maybe they won't notice that this is a horrible situation, you're deluding <laughs> yourself. Because yeah, everybody is going to notice and then they're going to be pissed. <laughs> that's exact. I mean, that's so funny. I, I it reminds me of when I was training as a coach, I went through a program and when you sign up for the program, they say, you are about to drink from the fire hose. We're going to take a fire hose and we're going to point it at your face. We're, this is going to be a lot. This is going to be a very intense emotional experience. That is what you're signing up for. And then you know. And then when you're in it, I was like, okay. So, And then when I, when I was having my resistance to things, I knew. Mm. I was like, I signed up for something where this organization is going to push me really, really hard in service of developing me as a coach and in service mm. of my own personal growth. And, and I know it has an expiration date. And I know when that expiration date is. And so for now, I'm on this ride. Right. I think it's what what happens for me sometimes is I'll I choose I choose to sign up for something, but then I disempower my choice later. <laughs> I'll be like, mm. "Ooh, mm. I want to be I want to go on the roller coaster," and then I'm on the roller coaster, and I'm like, "Get me off the roller coaster!" <laughs> and it's like, no, no. Yeah, you get to that first like 80 yeah. degree drop, and you're like, "Oh shit, what did I signed up for?" Yeah. 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 And I've definitely business, been there. <laughs> yeah, my, my business partner and I, we talk about it all the time. And we spend at least an hour every morning on the phone kind of talking each other off the ledge for various reasons. <laughs> Some days I'm lucky. I just wake up and I'm like, wow, I'm so grounded today. This is going to be a good day. And other days I'm like, you know, the house is on fire in my head. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, listener. Sorry to interrupt the vibes. I'll be out of your way in just a second. It's Jan, the head of community here at Indie Collective. Thanks for making it this far into our episode. Just a reminder that if you're connecting with this story, you can go to IndieCollective.co where you can learn about the program, hear members speak about their experiences, and apply for our next cohort. As a podcast listener, you'll receive priority when applying for an interview as well as a limited time $500 friends and family discount. All right, I'll get back out of your way. Yep. And yep. just... The having her to talk through it though makes such a huge difference, and 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 bringing it back to what you were saying, the normalizing that even as an entrepreneur, 
it's it's not all grind. And in fact, I would assert that ideally it should not be too much grind at all. Um, right. And there are moments when it's time to push. You know, everything right. in life has a natural life cycle. I, I think of it like birth. It's like, you know, a, a human being or an animal, a mammal gets pregnant and then they incubate the baby. And then at a certain point, you got to push the baby out. And that right. is going to hurt. Right. That's, that's the part that hurts. But it, it doesn't hurt the entire time. Like, you know, right. there's a time for resting. There's a time for there's a season and a place for everything in the evolution of, of your business. And as you're incubating that, you have to be take like if a if a if a pregnant mother were not to provide that with, you know, proper nutrition and rest and you know, you have to really invest in growing that thing. Like and I prenatal vitamins. There's all of those different ways that we could relate um, that into that incubation process, so to speak to the growth of a business and if you don't don't do any of those things you just stress about the fact that hey this is going to hurt nine months from now then you're going to stunt the growth you know you 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 want to kind of understand yes there's going to be this period of pain um but well and actually after post like post the labor process the female body has this really cool hormonal response where it releases all of this oxytocin and all of this dopamine and all of this serotonin so much so to the point that it actually causes somewhat of an amnesia effect that you actually forget how painful it was. Otherwise we would all have single child households, <laughs> right? Like there would not be people going back to have their second, third or fourth child. But the body has this beautiful pre-programmed response to that pain because it knows what type of beautiful thing can be produced out of that, that they, they're, all these hormones kind of come in and, and respond to that. So, okay. So without me going down too much of a nursing rabbit hole and like talking about um, uh, like neurotransmitters and stuff, I want to um, ask this, this um, last question because we're kind of coming up on our time here. Um, which I actually have two, two left. Um, so, so the third question that I always really enjoy asking is if you had a best friend that wanted to enter your field of practice, what are some things that you would either warn them about or a piece of advice that you would give them um, as they attempted to navigate your field of practice? I'll specifically answer this question for coaches because I think a lot of people are curious about coaching. They're like, oh, could I do it? Should I do it? The number one thing I would say is it is a sales driven business. <laughs> so you gotta, you have to get comfortable with selling. And so that's what I would say. Get comfortable with selling. I think that's true of any entrepreneur actually. Mm -hmm. So much of it is about selling and not, and also sales is not a dirty word. A lot of people think sales nope. is a dirty word. And I'm Agreed. like, I'm like, you know what? I, not only is it the engine that keeps <laughs> my life going and my business going, but it also can be kind of fun. Like sales is fun. Yeah. So I think, um, I would say like the thing to get comfortable with is the sales piece. And I would, I would give advice to people to get comfortable there. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I remember when I first, so like jumping from the nursing background and my, my other two founding partners, um, Oh, they are, none of us are marketing. 
right? So we own a marketing consulting group and none of us have marketing majors. Um, like I was a nurse with a background in clinical psych. My other co-founder was bio pre-med and our third one was sports management kinesiology. So the, the closest person that had any semblance of an understanding of how to manage people was RJ because he had that degree in sports management. And I guess I kind of had some stuff from the military too, but um, I, I used to be afraid to ask people for a hundred dollar retainer to do social media basics. You know, like that was scary as hell the first couple of times that we had to like genuinely attach value. Like, hey, we had this brain baby and we think that you would really enjoy this brain baby. Could you pay us for our idea? And that's a that is a really weird thing, because for me, I think in reflection, at least personal experience wise, it was because it was the first time that I wasn't taking something from like a I don't know why Lowe's is popping into my head, but. You know, I wasn't taking something from like a store that was a product that I know millions of other people had used and found success with and then selling it for a price that was predetermined by a market, right? This was like, I had an idea. I know it's going to work for your business because I've tested it on myself, but there's not a bunch of other people standardly pricing this and I want you to believe in the value. Um and that was a difficult thing to try to get used to. But as you get better at it, now that I've been at it, you know, coming up on five years, I don't blink at a 5000 a 10000 a $15,000 retainer because I'm rooted in the value that I'm going to be able to provide that individual. And I firmly believe in it. And to your point, sales is not a dirty word. I consider this somewhat of a sales action. You know what I mean? This is because... Sales can be more about, if you think about it as like, I just want to form a massive network of best friends and, and all of those people that I form relationships with are quote unquote in my pipeline, you know, this circle of influence that I build for myself, that is the fun part of sales for me. Getting to learn people's stories and, you know, answering questions that people post on LinkedIn and finding forums to collaborate in and getting on podcasts and posting content that's going to be valuable to other people. And there's so many other ways. I think when people think sales, they just think like, like, hello, like, has your vehicle expired on car insurance? <laughs> um, which is not sales at all. Yeah. Um, that's just one archaic form of sales methodology. And it seems to be the dominant thing that people think about when they think sales. Yeah, for sure. And you, you still hear it. I mean, you'll hear people. I was at a tech conference. I wasn't at the conference. I was getting lunch outside at a restaurant where there was a tech conference two days ago. And there was this oh, guy. Oh, is this from his... your LinkedIn post? Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God, man. Dude, when I read that, I literally was like, <sighs> I was like, I did... I'm oh, so yeah. upset. It was so gross. I'll spare all the details of, of what the, the Yeah, post follow Chris on is. LinkedIn and you can like read his posts. He posts a lot of really good content. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes I'm like, am I saying too much? But then I'm like, that's my job. Remember my superpower, boundary pushing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so um, yeah, he his title said VP of regional sales. And he said something so gross about like um, the re, you know, I, my thing is, if, if I meet someone and I don't immediately see what they can do for me, I forget them. I write them off completely. And I was like, ew, no, like that wow. is not sales. That is like some weird, twisted, self-serving thing. That is not sales. That might be some That's way. Like that narcissism. might be Yeah, like that might be some way that you bully people into like somehow giving you money. But 
that's not sales. Sales for me is about enrolling people in yeah. like themselves and creating something with you, believing in what you're doing enough that like, you know, mm -hmm. like I would never sell something that I didn't believe in. That would feel unethical for me. Right. So yeah, I, I love what you said. I think it's truly about um, a, a big network of people who want to create together, support one another, make money together, all of the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, who says that sales can't create a synergistic feedback loop, right? Like, it, it doesn't have to be a one. It it shouldn't. It actually it shouldn't be a one way street. Like, if you're just like what you just said, if you're just bullying people into giving you money, that's not sales. That's like I don't know extortion. That's like <laughs> you know that's that's not that's not at least in the modern context, you will not survive in a sales driven. Um, position or as an entrepreneur if your mentality is I'm going to bully people into giving me money um, you may make a, a lot of money in a short period of time but with the way how quickly communication flows nowadays you're going to get called out people are going to start belittling you with negative reviews and you're a you're going to tank um, mm -hmm. because people catch on to that type of shit and it becomes I, I just like on the IG live I was just on talking about thought leadership I said that you have to be able to embody your thought leadership, right? Like you mm -hmm. can't just put out thoughts. You have to live it and talk about your experience while living the thoughts that you're talking about because humans have a really strong bullshit detector and they'll be able to tell across your platforms like, oh, I see that you posted this article about X, Y, and Z, but you comment on other people's stuff like an asshole. So like I know that you're not living by this thing that you posted – you're just trying to clout chase. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, I've seen that take a lot of people down. Um, there's a lot of people that I started off this entrepreneurial journey with four or five years ago. And I think I'm one out of three out of a group of like 15 or 20 of us that are still kind of moving um, because a lot of them approached the sales portion as like, oh, I just need to get people to pay me. And mm -hmm. then there was, as my, my sales mentor likes to say, there was no stake behind the sizzle. There was, there was no, like, you had all of this flashy language and all of this other stuff, but when it came to, like, putting your money where your mouth is, they're just, it, it, it wasn't there. So, yeah, cool. I love that. Man, I knew this was going to be a good episode. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, and, like, you've got me thinking about so much different stuff. We could go on for a whole nother hour, but unfortunately, we're coming up here on our, our last couple of minutes. So, I'll ask um, the last question which I always kind of consider a bonus. Um, but I ask this question because I'm genuinely curious. And then I also know that we get a lot of our information as entrepreneurs from the internet um, through different types of content. So one of my um, newest favorite questions, I just came up with this a couple of months ago, is are you a reader, a watcher, or a listener? And depending on your learning style, whichever one you subscribe to the most, could you recommend a YouTube channel, a podcast, or a book that somebody could pick up that provided you a lot of value? I am a listener, and I love this podcast by Simone Soul. She's a, she teaches life, coach, life coaches how to market their coaching. And I recommend it to people who are not life coaches all the time because she's just – I honestly feel like her style of podcasting is – she's hypnotizing you into believing in yourself more and more and it just you're like I, was i just hypnotized and it's a constant all mm. she's doing is talking out loud her own worldview around like 
how to market, how to have integrity in your marketing, how to sell with, with alignment with your values, how to reach out to people in a way that's natural to you, how to price your offerings, how to trust your intuition. It's all very intuition-based business building. And I love that it's from a woman. I love that it's from a BIPOC woman. I think she just, she also, I think um, she's ADHD. So she speaks a lot about like what it's like to build business from that place as well. So she has so many cool intersections of her own identity. And then she's been Mm. very successful in building business from that place. I love listening to it and it's only 20 minutes. So it's the perfect kind of like treadmills, elliptical, Stairmaster kind of thing. Yeah. And I, and that literally the way that you described like all of the reasons that you just gave as to why you love her is exactly what I just talked about in that thought leadership thing. She embodies you like she's just talking out loud about what her lived experience has been and and the ways that she's observed it impacting her life and hopefully other people find value in that. Mm-hmm. And 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 a lot of people do, I'm sure, you know, find a lot of value in her just talking out loud. And it's so scary for a lot of us. Um, I know like I was like we were just joking before the mics came on. Like I just got done with that, you know, 40 minutes on Instagram live talking about thought leadership and like my palms were sweaty. I'm not even going to lift up my arms right now because I'm soaked. You know, like I got really nervous the entire time I was out there because all I was doing is giving my genuine experiential perspective on what thought leadership means to me. Mm-hmm. But I had like 15 people show up and watch for the entire 40 minutes, um, which is really cool. And yeah. if, you, if you're listening to this and you're somebody that feels like I have a lot to say, but nobody would be willing to listen, just put it out there. You would be surprised how many people can probably relate to you, even if it feels like nobody inside of your direct sphere of influence gives a shit. I promise you there are other people out there asking the same question Um, because the human experience is pretty universal across all of us. We all encounter things that, you know, make us feel inadequate. We all encounter things that make us feel excited. You know, we, we, there's all of these things that are just a part of being a person. And if you can put that out there in a genuine way, um, you're going to eventually kind of find your tribe. Um, or they'll pick you. Um, yeah. This has been awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for, for coming on and hanging out for this hour with me. Yeah, totally. I loved it. So as far as where people can find you or where you prefer people to connect with you, um, where can people learn more about Chris and, um, and learn more about what you're doing in the world? Yes. One is LinkedIn, Chris Donahoe. And then I post a ton on Instagram and it's at, it's, um, at Chris underscore Donahoe, D-O-N-O-H-O-E. And then as part of Indie Collective, we just launched our new product offering, Career Lab, which is careerlab.studio. And that's another great place. My podcast is is connected to that website. Mm -hmm. The podcast is also called Career Lab. I basically took Simone Soul's format and said, I'm going to copy this. (laughs) So I talk out loud for 30 minutes and hypnotize people into believing that they can do whatever it is they need to do. And that's kind of how I do that. (laughs) 
And any of those are great places to find me. Amazing. So if you are listening to this and, and you want to you know check out Chris, I highly encourage you to uh, go to those locations that he just pointed out. Um, also, you know, a, as always, a huge shout out to Indie Collective as the uh, place that has brought all of these voices into one place. Um, and if you want to check them out uh, or Chris out, just go drop down into the description of this podcast. Um, every single time we have a guest on here, I highlight their names and make sure that we hyperlink uh, directly to their LinkedIn profile. So there's no excuse to, um, to not give Chris a follow because it's super easy to find. Just drop down right into the description. Um, and until next time, this has been a, another episode of the Launchpad here at the Modern Independent powered by Indie Collective.